This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. Tonight's agenda is to finish chapter 7, and the end of chapter 7 also represents the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not the end of our red-letter studies. It's just the end of this particular set of teachings by our Lord. Sermon on the Mount, at least as per the Gospel of Matthew, covers chapters 5, 6, and 7. 7 will bring it to a conclusion. So tonight, I don't know how long it'll take. Now, relax. I'm not saying it's going to take 40 minutes or an hour. I'm saying that it may not even take 30 minutes. And because this is our Fellowship Tuesday, this is our Fellowship Bible study, and there is food waiting downstairs, um, we may just redeem that extra bit of time and troop down and get a little bit of early start on the food. That's if we wrap up early. Okay, well, why don't we just go on to chapter 8? Because chapter 8 isn't in red letter studies. There's no specific teachings of Jesus that we're going to deal with in chapter 8. We're going to move on to a different section. Have that ready for you probably next week. Be it the will of the Lord. Last week, and this actually became the basis for last Sunday morning's message, we wrapped up with a teaching on ask and it shall be given you. And with everything that hung off of that, that whole paragraph beginning in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7, all the way down through verse 12, I want to read that again and touch on that for just a moment before we go into the next teaching in uh, verse 13, the next paragraph there. He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them which ask him, or them that ask him? Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now there's a handful of uh, lessons that we can extract from this one paragraph alone. And we, we dug into it fairly substantially last Tuesday, preached on it again Sunday, and I think it's even coming back around this Sunday because we didn't get through that whole message. We only got through one point. And there were two other really good points in that. So we'll see what God wants, we'll see what He ordains, and what comes this coming Sunday morning. Might be that, it might be something else completely. He calls the shots. But we talked about we, we talked about the word evil and what that even means, and the popular misconceptions and how it is that um, when we think of evil, when the average person thinks of the word evil, we always want to assign that to the absolute worst of the worst of humanity. Stalin, Hitler, Attila the Hun, uh, Ivan the Terrible. Uh, many years ago, I, I, used to, I used to spend a lot of time in bookstores. I, I lived in squalor, and so I escaped as often as I could. Spent a lot of times in bookstores and coffee houses, and came across a book one day called The Most Evil Men and Women in History. And it was, uh, it was an excellent book. I ended up buying it. Um, and 
That whole book was a collection of historical accounts, highly summarized and abbreviated, but historical accounts of the most evil men and women in history. And that included people like Adolf Hitler, Attila the Hun, Pol Pot, who, if you'll remember, uh, was the, one of the masterminds behind the communist revolution in Cambodia. Uh, if you've not heard of him, you have perhaps heard of The Killing Fields. That was, that was his engineering and his Communist Party. Um, and people much further back than just the 20th century, other people like Ivan the Terrible, uh, who was, uh, by some accounts, a certifiable genius, but also a raving loon, and, and killed his own son in a fit of rage and, and repented bitterly. But, and people dating all the way back to various Caesars, Elizabeth Bathory, people like this, just really monstrous human beings who had the resources and the authority to perpetrate some of the worst atrocities in human history. And so we always think that's what evil is. Those are the people who are evil. Or the other, other people that are popular to hate in this current age, like anybody who messes with a child, a rapist, a murderer, um, a terrorist, somebody who flies planes into buildings. You only get to do that one time, generally. Um, that was a joke. It's okay to laugh. But when the truth of the matter is that evil is not just restricted to the worst of the worst. Okay, and, and you could even take all of that and you could summarize it. And I know we, we mentioned this last week, so this is a little bit of review. So maybe we will have the entire half hour. So I didn't mean to give you false hope. Um, but the truth of the matter is that evil in the popular conception is always somebody worse than me. Somebody worse than me. I'm not evil. I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not Adolf Hitler. You know, and that's like the trump card of all evil references. But no, no. Evil is much more banal, I think is the word. I might be mispronouncing it. Evil is much more boring. Evil is much less exciting than that. Okay, Not saying that Hitler and Stalin, all of these horrible, atrocious figures from history, were in fact not evil. Of course they were. They were evil to the core. And they just were in a position to exercise it more completely than the average Joe, if you will. Okay, But evil afflicts all the way to the womb. And that, again, that's because of Adam and Eve's sin. When they committed that act of rebellion, Somehow, and I don't have the science behind it, and I don't even know if science even touches on it, to be honest with you, because it's a spiritual thing. Somehow their act of rebellion was passed on to their natural offspring. It corrupted Adam and Eve's nature, and then they passed that corruption on to their sons, Cain and Abel and Seth and everyone that would come from them. And then, of course, they passed that on and they passed that on all the way down to the present day. And if you have trouble believing that, all you have to do is just open your eyes and look at the world. Open your eyes and look at the human race. Look at the news. Read headlines. That's all you have to do. It is self-evident. It is as self-evident as life itself that the human race is pickled in wickedness and evil. And people have been doing terrible things to people ever since Cain first murdered Abel. So what does that have to do with Jesus' teaching here? Well, he calls the people evil. That wasn't his lesson. His lesson was that your heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his children, but that he does so in spite of the fact that human beings are evil by nature, 
from conception and remain so until our hearts have been touched and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what changes us. David said, I was shapen in iniquity. I was born in sin. He said it the other way around. I was born in sin, shapen in iniquity. And there's so much else also to be found in the Bible over in Romans especially. Paul talks about how there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. And makes it very clear that every human being born of a woman except Jesus. Except Jesus because he was not conceived the same way that you and I were conceived. You and I were conceived all the same way. Mom got with dad. And nine months later, we came into the world. Yay! Isn't that awesome? That is. Actually, it is really awesome. I don't view birth as a tragedy. I don't care how wicked the human race is. Birth is a wonderful thing, and it, and it really is kind of miraculous in its own right, how, the, how conception and all of that works. And it's one reason why abortion is such a pathological evil in and of itself. Yes, I went there, because I can go there, because it's a sin. It's a sin. So it's not just politics. It's really dealing with what we should and should not do. But now that being said, well, oh my goodness, well, I've had an abortion before, preacher. What does that mean for me? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, it means that that abortion is never more to be held to your account. That's what that means. Because the blood of Christ washes us clean of all sins. Period. We've got to stand on that. We never forget that. He was saying here, if ye, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is not evil, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? And then, the final lesson from this paragraph is what he derives from everything he was just talking about. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What's he saying here? Well, it's from this that we derive what we know of as the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the first application of that teaching, right, is just be nice to people. But that really isn't all that it's saying. It's not saying be good and nice to people. Because there's sometimes when you have to not be nice to some people. Like when you're a parent raising a child. There's times when you have to not be nice to your child. Because your child is doing something very bad or destructive or just dangerous to themselves. And then you have to get a lesson across to them. And sometimes that lesson is not best instructed with, okay, now, Johnny, put the gun down. Don't point the loaded gun at mommy. Really? No. You slap the thing out of their hand and you have to correct them sharply sometimes. I'm not saying you beat your kids. I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do either. First of all, in modern society, that'll probably land you in jail and it might get you a visit from one or more uh, local level government agencies, and you might find yourself not having a kid. It's in state custody. You don't really want that. But the point is, do so, do unto others, or as Jesus said, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you. That's a wordy old English, King James English way of saying, the way that you want people to treat you is the way that you ought to treat people. And 
What that generally means is if you respect others, then others will respect you. Now, not all the time. That doesn't happen all the time. Some people, you show them respect and they'll still walk all over you, take advantage of you or exploit you or do whatever the case may be. But if you want people to treat you with respect, then treat others with respect. If you want other people to treat you kindly, then treat them kindly. If you want other people to deal with you in a straightforward and plain spoken manner, because that's how you best communicate and how you interact best, then be straightforward likewise with other people. It's about what goes around comes around and what the Bible describes as reaping what you sow. Now, that doesn't mean that if you've got some kind of neurosis and you want to die, that you should then go kill people. You following that? We don't, Christians don't do suicide by police or by any other means for that matter. You just don't do it. It's self-murder. And the end of that road is one that we don't even want to consider right now. He's saying, however you want people to treat you, that's how we treat people. That's how we treat people. Because with what you meet out, it shall be measured unto you again. We think we talked about that last week, didn't we? Judge not that you be not judged. Okay, well, if, you're avoid, if you don't want people to hold you under scrutiny for something that you're doing, don't be a judgmental person. If you, want to be, if you want to be on the receiving end of other people's mercy, then be a merciful person yourself. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's basic reciprocity. That's the fancy word, okay? It means as you treat others, it will be reciprocated, hopefully, and you will be treated the same way by others. So really, it's a two-edged sword. If you're a mean-spirited, bitter, rotten old person, an old buzzard, then people are going to treat you like that. But if you're a nice, kind, forthright, respectable, and respectful individual and you treat people well, then as a general rule, people will treat you the same way. And if they don't, then they'll either learn to, because they have your example, amen? Or they'll just continue, continue being an overly forward, or as the Bible says, froward, and then you just have to love them from a distance. Verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now this one teaching, two verses long, this one teaching, this whole paragraph here about entering in at the straight gate, this one teaching completely dismantles the notion of well, God wouldn't send that many people to hell. How could so many people be wrong? This completely dismantles that because in Jesus' own words, he makes it very clear that compared to the entire population of the human race, okay, compared to the entirety of the human race, there is a very small percentage, comparatively speaking, that are actually going to make it into heaven. And the reason for that is not because God is super discriminatory, okay? The reason for that is not because God doesn't want most people to get into the kingdom of God, doesn't want them to enter into heaven and into the new life. It's not because of that at all. That really doesn't factor into it. It's because the vast majority of people who live make the wrong choice. They make the wrong choice. And they choose to serve the wrong things and they choose to do the wrong things. It always comes back around to a case of human free will. And evil is evil regardless if a person even knows or not. Because a person can kill a person in a fit of rage 
regardless, and, and still be blood guilty of actual murder, right? Regardless of whether or not they ever read the Ten Commandments that told them, thou shalt do no murder. Because evil is evil by nature, isn't it? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? A person fools around on their spouse. Whether they knew that it was a sin or not doesn't make the act any less wicked, does it? I mean, if you think about it, that's like the ultimate betrayal, just about. That is one of the, ult one of the worst kinds of betrayals that can be perpetrated on another person is for their mate to cheat on them. Really, that's bad business. If you're dating somebody who's like dating three other people at the same time, that's a good indicator. They will not be faithful if you put a ring on that. Don't put a ring on that. They're playing, they're playing three fields at once. What's wrong with you? Don't commit yourself to that. That's just, that's just not good policy. But he tells us, enter in at the straight gate. And then he tells us why. Because wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. The vast majority of people are already on that road and are heading down that road. All of us were on that road once. We were born traveling on that road, and we traveled down it, some of us many years, some of us fewer years. We traveled on that road all the way until God got our attention and we responded by coming to Him in repentance to be born again, to be forgiven of our sins. That's when we turned around. And you can picture it. It's a very good metaphor. It's a very simplistic metaphor, but it's very good. You can picture it in your mind. You were literally on, as ACDC saying, the highway to hell. Oh yeah, I was there. I know. I know. I grew up with my brother. He was the metalhead in our house. Okay? But it was very much like that. You were absolutely on the road to perdition, and most people still are. That's why Jesus commissioned His church. After He rose again from the dead and before He ascended back to the Father, He said, Go ye into all the world and preach and teach those things which I have taught you to observe and baptize men and women in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's not just about baptism, but that's part of it. It has a, symb a symbolic importance. By the way, if you're a believer... If you've been saved, if you've been born again, and you have not been baptized in water, get with me. We need to talk about that. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you've done wrong. I'm just saying we want to do right. Right? But he says to enter in at the straight gate, because everybody else is going through the wide gate. Walk the narrow way, because everybody else is walking the broad way. It's easy to stay on a broad way. There's all kinds of room there. If you've ever traveled on a super highway with six lanes, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room for error there, and you can just drift from side to side as long as you don't hit other cars. But the straight way, the right way, the way of life, the way of righteousness is a narrow way because it doesn't allow all of the excesses and wickedness of sin and sinful activities, sinful actions, sinful practices, which are the result of an evil condition of the heart. Remember we talked about that last week. The soil is this, or evil is the soil out of which grows the tree that then brings forth fruit, which is sin. But if there's a change in the soil and the soil is not evil, well, then the fruit that comes forth from the tree that grows out of that is not sinful, but it's good. And then you can, there's all kinds of areas we can go in with that. That's, we're going to teach on the fruit of the Spirit one day. That's uh, one day soon, I hope. That's some really good stuff right there. Read about that over in Galatians 5. But he admonishes us to go into the straight way or go in the, the, the narrow way in the straight gate. He says, which leadeth unto life 
and few there be that find it. So in this one teaching, he makes it very clear that compared to the whole 7.6 billion that are walking the earth right now, a very small percentage of them, not an infinitesimal one, there are believers around the world that you don't even know. There are places, there are churches and places of persecution where, uh, I, trust me, they are focused on God far more than we are in our land of distraction and ease and luxury. But compared to the, to the sum total of the human race, there's a very small number that are on that road, on that road to the kingdom. And it's, again, it's because of their choices. It's because of their choices. It's not because God has singled out any nation and said, I'm not saving anybody from this country, or I'm not saving anybody of this color, or of that color, or I'm not saving, any, or I'm not saving women, I'm just going to save men. Whoa, that would be bad news, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, you know, any of those would be bad news. But it's not because of that. It was never because of that. It's because of the decisions that people make. So, let us, if we're all here tonight, it's usually a pretty good indicator that we've made the right choice. But you have to keep making the right choice on a regular basis, don't you? Because there's always opportunities to take an exit ramp from the straight and narrow way. And you just don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Not for short-term gain, certainly not for long-term gain. Let's just stay on the highway, the right highway, the one that goes to heaven. Verse 15, beware of false prophets. Jesus says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. That You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. We were just talking about that. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Verses 15 through 20 is a teaching on be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you allow to have a teacher's role in your life. And that's why I don't really promote radio preachers. I don't promote a lot. I don't promote any radio preachers. I'm not saying they're bad. And I'm not, certainly not saying that they're all bad. Okay, but you just you don't know where they're coming from. And, and there have been some that have hit the airwaves that have taught some egregious heresies. I mean, outrageous things. And the, the example that my mind always goes to, and he's dead now, so I'm not going to count it as slander or as gossip. Okay, but a man by the name of Harold Camping. Had a, had a huge radio network that he used to present his take on the word uh, for decades and decades. This man was a, a voice on the radio talking to people, taking calls and, and speaking in his sonorous grandfatherly tone of voice and taking every simple question and turning it into the most complicated and convoluted answer you could possibly give. I mean, it'd make you dizzy listening to him and not in a good way. You know, a caller would call up. Hey, can you tell me, Harold Camping, can you tell me if, uh, if murder is wrong? Well, that's pretty black and white, right? You would expect that that would be like a three-second answer. Um, thank you for calling. Yes. Next caller. 
You know, it, it really ought to be that simple. But no, it would, it would come out as something, well, you know, you have to take the exegetical context of the law over there in, uh, in Exodus and then consider how, that, how the ramifications of his speech and how, you see, the law was inscribed in stone and stone is hard and hard things hurt. And, you know, and he would just turn it all around like this. And you would, by the time he gave an answer, you wouldn't remember what the question was. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Well, are you saying that we should only listen to you? Well, I'm not going to say that because there, there are some people that, that have some really good advice out there. And, and there's some people that, have, that know some good things about Scripture and they understand Scripture well. So I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying be careful. Because the devil is a liar and the father of it. And the most effective liars are liars who can mix truth in with it to make it believable. Okay, just like, you know, mixing in some good food with some rat poison so that you don't taste the rat poison. You still don't want to ingest that stuff. The best way to protect yourself against false teachings, heresy, bad doctrine, false prophets... The best way to protect yourself from that sort of thing is to know your Bible. That's why we have Bible studies. So it can arm your mind against the false teachings of false teachers. Because now there's some things you might, you might get a wrong teaching on and it's not a big deal. You know, somebody convinces you that you ought to abstain from bacon. All right, well, it's not a sin to abstain from bacon. It just isn't a requirement to abstain from bacon. Praise the Lord. We've got some of that mixed up in our food downstairs. I'm looking forward to it. But be careful. And he says, well, how, well it, he answers the question before it's even asked. You know, well, how will I know a false prophet? Well, they're always in disguise, for one thing. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing. And he says elsewhere that the devil transforms himself into an angel of light. Okay? He never comes to you. <laughs> he never comes to you in red tights with a silly pitchfork or trident, really. The devil's not a farmer. All right? He never comes to you in red tights with a pointy tail and a silly fork and horns poking out of his head and red skin. That is the silliest bit of medieval Catholic mythology. And I think it has its origins even further back than that. I, I think it's actually derived from, an, from a much earlier Greek origin, but I might, be, I might be off the mark there. That's not the devil. He doesn't look like that. The Bible says he transforms himself into an angel of light. And he can because he is an angel, isn't he? He was God's covering cherub, wasn't he? The most beautiful of angels. And we're not, this is not going to turn this into a class on you know, the history of the devil. That He has a history. No, he is not the opposite of God. Because if he were the perfect opposite of God, then that would mean that he was equally powerful as God. And he isn't within a billion miles of being as powerful as God. He can create nothing. He can only pervert and twist that which is already created. And, and, and there's a lot more to it. There, it could be said than that. But... You recognize a false prophet by the fruit of their lives. He says, they'll come to you in sheep's clothing, okay? They might even come to you in a snazzy suit or a cheap suit off the rack from men's warehouse or a thrift store, whatever. They'll come to you and they may look the part. 
Or they may not even have anything to do with clothing at all. They may just come to you quoting an awful lot of Scripture. Okay? And weaving it around to make it sound like it makes sense. But you watch the fruit of their life. You watch the fruit of their life. If they have a life that's filled with strife and wrath and anger, they're not a prophet of Almighty God. If they've got a life that's filled with covetousness and the love of money, they're not a prophet of Almighty God. They need to repent. They need to get right with God themselves. I'll be very plain about that. I'll be very plain about that. Life's too short and there's too much at stake to be careless about who you listen to and who you allow to influence your life. So he says, by their fruit you will know them. Verse 20, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what day is that? Probably the day of judgment. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You got somebody coming around putting on an air of religion or even purporting to be a minister of some kind. I'm careful how to speak on that because we should never be disrespectful of persons, especially those who are especially those who are in ministry, really. And this is not a self-serving teaching, okay? You should be respectful of the Catholic priest, no matter how off his doctrine may or may not be. You should be respectful of the Lutheran priest, the Anglican priest, the Baptist preacher, you know, the, uh, the Pentecostal pastor or whatever. You should be respectful of them because probably in the vast majority of cases, they love God and they're doing what they know to do. And so it's good to pay them the respect that their office, that their office requires biblically, okay? But he says here, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter. Now this doesn't, I'm not trying to apply this to just other ministers. This applies to absolutely anybody that professes to be Christian, but does not back up their profession with the life. That's why we have such an emphasis on that around here. Because there's so many frauds, or just lukewarm, half-hearted, half-baked, not even really sincere believers. And part of that's Cheyenne culture. We got 20 tons of churches around here. The per cap, church per capita in our, for, for our uh, population is very, very high. But, so you're going to have a lot more social Christianity and a lot more casual Christianity. But it's the life that backs it. That's the lesson that Jesus is teaching us in this paragraph, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that claims Jesus Christ is right with God. Not everyone is. And so when your mom told you, or your grandma told you, or your uncle told you that all you have to do is believe, don't believe that. I remember a lady who worked at the dining hall when I was in the Air Force, one of the cashiers. I think she was Irish. She might have been. Maybe Scottish. Anyway, she was a nice matronly old woman. And uh, I was already going to church at that time. And she made a statement to me that was basically like, all you have to do is believe and you'll be okay. Just believe that God's real and you're okay. But we have a Bible, don't we, that says that the devils believe and tremble. 
mere mental acknowledgement, and I know we all know this, this is just a good repaving of a road that we've already traveled, but it's good to do that. Repetition's a good teacher. Um, we know that it takes more than a mental acknowledgement. And so these people here in our Lord's teaching, where he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom, but, well, then who will? He says right here, he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's who's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it is the will of our Father in heaven that a sinner, what? Be born again and cease being a sinner. You see, we say, well, I'm still learning. I don't have everything in my life perfect yet. Don't worry about that. Have you accepted Christ? If the answer is yes, he's enrolled you in that school of virtue we talked about, not just the Friday night classes where we took that name from, okay? But he's begun the good work in you. He's begun the good work in you, and it is his grace that makes up that difference. Now, we don't take that and then run with it and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do now because God's grace just covers it, and I can just sin, I can just sin to my heart's content, Okay, or more like your heart's discontent, because sin does not bring content. It numbs and it sears, okay? But it is His grace that makes up the gap between our reach and His, our reach and His presence. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've been wanting to preach on this, but it just hasn't come together. It tells me it hasn't been the will of the Lord, okay? And it's tricky for the new believer to get this. Not because the new believer isn't smart, but it's because we're so accustomed to trying to wrap our brains around being good enough people. When the biblical truth is that we can't be good enough people. We can only be right with God or not right with God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explain this. There is a gulf between God's perfect holiness and righteousness and his, ex his expectations for the human race and where mankind actually sizes up. There's a huge gulf there. It is so huge that no measure of good works will bridge it. Are you following me? No measure of good deeds, hand-holding, helping little old ladies across the street, as the old cliche goes, um, giving to charity and to alms, um, nice things done to nice people, morality, ethics, none of that bridges the gap. The Bible makes that very clear, that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's what the prophet said. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Okay, well then what in the world bridges that gulf? Because something's got to bridge that gulf. I'm careful to answer on this. What bridges the gap between God and man is called grace. And this, that word gets so used that it loses all meaning, okay? Grace is unearned favor, okay? Grace is mercy. Grace is manifest in a number of ways. If we will but reach for God, no matter how short our reach falls, God will reach for us and bridge that gap. Does that make sense? If we are trusting in Him, and that's what faith ultimately boils down to, is not merely belief in His existence, but absolute, unmoving, unshakable trust in who He is, what He has done, and what He has promised to do for us and is, continues to do for us on a daily basis. If we will trust in Him, that's us reaching for Him. 
If we seek Him, we pray, we believe, we allow His Word to inform our lives. Because if we don't do that, and I know I beat this drum a lot, and it probably it gets pretty old hearing it, but we need to hear it. Because there's always people out there who will try to influence, influence us to the contrary. Okay? If your belief does not shape the way you live, then all you have is a philosophy. And philosophy does not save. Philosophy is just a pattern of thoughts in your head. A system of ethics in your head. But if it doesn't affect the way that you live, if you don't let it shape the way that you live, then it's just no good. It doesn't profit a person in any way, shape, or form. It just makes you sound like a transcendental gas bag when you talk about it and try to impress people with all of your knowledge. We're not trying to be that way. We're not, we're not trying to um, be a group of Christians that are that way. So what are we getting at? What are we getting at? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And I'm always thinking of those TV evangelists. Those charismatic ones that smack people on the head and knock them to the ground and say that they're healed. There's no biblical precedent for that. That is not God. That is not the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying it's the devil, okay? I'm just saying that it isn't God. I would say it's an act. And it's people just trying to impress people with how spiritual and how touched they are. But there is nothing in the Bible to back up that kind of a reaction. The only people that God ever smacked to the ground were Old Testament armies that he was judging and destroying or the Roman soldiers outside of Jesus' tomb when the stone rolled aside. Do you really want to be like them? Because I think they fell down as dead, didn't they? They weren't righteous men. So just a quick teaching on, and that ties right into what we were saying, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you... Um, who you esteem as a prophet of the Lord. Because a lot of them work in theatrics and putting on a show to draw large crowds and collect huge sums of money. And it's all just theater. Now God does heal. He does heal. He heals the body. He heals the mind. He heals the soul. God is a healer. So don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that miracles have ceased. I'm just saying know the difference between a genuine miracle and a charlatan and a snake oil salesman. Because those guys, they cry, Lord, Lord. But in that day, in that day, Jesus said, they're going to be the ones saying, Heaven, I prophesied in thy name. Here, let me throw that southern accent in there just to give it an extra bit of effect. Haven't I cast out devils in your name? And he's going to tell them exactly what he said. He's going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And that, built, that ties right back into what he was saying about by their fruits ye shall know them. And their fruits aren't evident at the pulpit. Their fruits are evident when nobody's watching. You want to see if somebody's a real born-again, genuine, sincere believer, you watch them when they think nobody's watching them. You see how they react when they close the door on their hand. You see how they react when they're provoked. You see how they react when they're caught off guard. Now, well, I, well, I had a burst of anger. Does that mean that I'm not really a Christian? No, I'm not going to say that. But if you did have some kind of an unchristian reaction, 
It's all about what you do next. Do you justify it? Like this one fellow that I worked with many years ago who hurt himself, let out a torrent of profanity. And I was right there on the job site, and I just looked at him and said, does your pastor know you talk like that? I think it's the only time I ever called somebody out like that. He grumbled and said, it's a human thing. I said, that doesn't make it right. See, a lot of people react like that because the well in their heart, the water in the well here, if we can use this as a metaphor, still has some bitterness in it. But if you let the Holy Spirit clean up your water. Now, some of that takes discipline. Because some people, they use profanity out of anger and rage. Some people just use it because it's so entwined in their vocabulary, they don't know any other way to talk. That was me. That was me. It was just, you said it so much that it was just part of everything that you said. You know, there was no anger behind it. There was no filthy spirit behind it. It was just, that's just the way that you talked. And so it takes some discipline and some resolve. And you say, you know what, I'm not going to talk like that anymore. Because the Bible tells me to let no filthy communication proceed from out of my mouth. And there's all kinds of filthy communications, not restricted to profanity, but profanity is one of them. And there's a whole teaching on that. We can get back to that another day. Our concluding teaching tonight. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you let fulfill the role of a teacher in your life. And make sure that no matter what you do, right or wrong, that you always do the right thing next. Does that make sense? So if you had a slip, if you made a bad call, if you did something that you shouldn't have done, if you blurted out with something that shouldn't have been blurted, all right, well, don't panic, just pray. Father, I don't want to be like that anymore. Let's, uh, let's you and I work together to get this out of me because I know that that would be pleasing to you and would make me that much more in the image of your perfect son my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.